The following is a hoop bowl presentation. What is going on? It is the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus with you on a Friday afternoon. Los Angeles Clippers media day just a few days away on Monday. Los Angeles Clippers players and coaches will speak to the media. But before the media day occurs, Noah Eagle, the radio voice of the Los Angeles Clippers, will join me on today's podcast. Before we get to him, just want to talk about our friends over at my bookie. Folks, I'm always asked about betting and where I'm betting, who I'm betting on. And I always say that I'm going to my bookie. It's really as simple as I don't give out my stamp of approval easily, okay? You got to be good at what you do. And frankly, my bookie is great at what they do. The rep is rock solid. They've got the best odds, contests, and promotions in the business. The only place really that I trust to handle my NBA-related bets, college football, which is in full force, NFL, Premier League, I need to trust where I'm betting. And I trust my bookie. They've also got blackjack if you want to play that. It's really great. Whatever they have. Whatever you want, they have. It's simple. Sign up, enter the promo code HOOPBALL. Get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. That's the promo code HOOPBALL. H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. Get your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. You need some help? Hit up the guys. The HOOPBALL Gaming Department. The Wager Pass is the place to go. They do a great job picking those games and telling you who to bet on. They want to make money. They want you to make money. And they want you to make money with my bookie. Bet with the best. Bet with my bookie. All right. So, if you get a chance, first of all, if you're able to rate and review the podcast, that'd be great. Give us a five-star rating, review it as well. That would be awesome. Follow me on Twitter, at BDMarcus. Follow the Hoopball Clippers Twitter account, at HoopballClips. So, today's podcast, Noah Eagle. We're going to talk about a variety of different things. We're going to talk about him getting a chance to broadcast during the Olympics. He called the 3 by 3 basketball. Talk about that. Talk about Intuit Dome and the new Clippers Arena slated to open in just a couple of years. Talk about Kawhi and PG. Kawhi injured, obviously, means a lot of pressure on PG. And maybe get a little bit into the playoff run of last season. I'm sure we'll hit some other stuff as well. You never know what's going to come up when I have Noah Eagle on the podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at NoahEagle15. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Noah Eagle. So excited to have this guy back. It's been a long time coming. He has... Been the voice of the Clippers now for a couple of years and just does a tremendous job. You hear him on AM570. You see him on CBS, whether it's the NFL and the Nickelodeon game or now college football on CBS, the tennis channel. He is everywhere. His voice is just omnipresent across America. Noah Eagle back on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. What's up, Noah? Brandon, what's going on, man? Appreciate you having me on. My voice is also omnipresent in my brain. I can't get it to shut off. So I'm glad that everybody else can share that experience now. That's really, that was the goal of going into this business is create the environment in my mind of never shutting it off and just broadcast that everywhere. So I'm glad to hear it's going well. And it's been fantastic thus far. Listen, you're going great places. I'm assuming that we're going to get another Nickelodeon game at some point this season. It hasn't been announced. I think they said they're going to do it for sure. Um, so uh, are, are you allowed to say anything about that? Can we just assume? Uh, I would say I'm going to, I'm going to plead the fifth. I'm okay. going to go Dave Chappelle and go plead the fifth. One, two, three, four, five, fifth. 
Oh my goodness, we're only, what, one minute in? We already got Dave Chappelle impersonation. Stay tuned, folks. You never know where this podcast is going to go. By the way, you may hear some crying at some point during this podcast. It's not me. It's not Noah. It is my five-month-old. We are currently sleep training him. And so if you hear him crying for a couple of minutes, most likely it's only going to be a couple of minutes because he puts himself to sleep nine times out of ten in five minutes or less. He's been tremendous. So if you hear crying, just want to give everyone a notice. That is why. Noah, we got a lot to talk about, but I want to take a couple of moments to discuss your time broadcasting the Olympics. You got a chance to be the play-by-play guy for the 3 by 3 the inaugural 3 by 3 tournament. I want to hear about that experience. First off, before we get to the actual play on the court, what was it like trying to broadcast at various different times and get your sleep schedule correct? Because it really seemed like you were doing <laughs> games at all different moments of the day. Yeah, that is honestly, that was the biggest hurdle. So for those who don't know, I appreciate, first of all, the kind words, Brandon. But for those who don't know, I was in Stanford, Connecticut, doing the, the 3x3 competition. And as you said, it's the first time this is ever happening. But with that, the, the games are short. They're about 20 minutes real time, 20, 25 minutes real time. The clock itself is 10 minutes. So they're quick moving, which is, I think, what people really connected to, what resonated with viewers, was that you could sit down and watch the entire game. And it wasn't really going to a bunch of commercials. There was one break, really, and that was it. So that was a great aspect of it. But with that, that meant we could play a whole bunch of games over the course of a day in Tokyo. Now, a day in Tokyo is night here in America. And so our first day of work, and I was doing it with Kyle Montgomery, who Clipper fans might remember, used to be the, the pregame, postgame host for the Clippers on Prime Ticket. Yep. And so we were exchanging Clipper stories and Clipper connections. That was great. I loved working with Kyle. And with it, Kyle and I showed up for the first day at 7 p.m. Eastern time in Connecticut, and we left the NBC headquarters at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So we were there for 15 hours. Now, we weren't working the entire 15 hours, but we would have pockets essentially. So from 9 p.m. to 11.30, we had games, and then from... 2 a.m. to 4.30, and then from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., or whatever it was. So we had these pockets, and then we had other pockets where we had to keep ourselves awake that first day. That was the hardest part. So Kyle and I would basically just do laps around this building and talk about the most obscure possible things to keep our minds occupied. It was a ton of fun. It was a group atmosphere. We're working with producer Paul Lucy. We had our statistician to the stars, Annie O'Shea, who used to work with FIBA directly. And so her and Kyle were very familiar and friendly and she was great with us. And so it was an awesome experience, but yeah, the sleep schedule thing, the other problem became that I couldn't, I was in a hotel in Connecticut. I was there for 14 nights. I want to say maybe 15 and I couldn't get anyone to come in and give me fresh sheets or towels or any of that stuff because I was sleeping. I was sleeping when they came. I had to leave the do not disturb on because I would get back at, let's say, 1030 or 11 in the morning. I'd sleep until about 6 p.m. or 5 p.m. And so they couldn't come because at that point they're off their shift. So that was definitely a hurdle where my garbage I, I was ordering in. I was also waking up. I had a friend who's from Connecticut 
And he's like, hey, tell me when you're free. I said, ah, I'll be free at like 7 p.m. if you're good for that. Because the shifts would gradually go back a little bit where I'd go in at 10 p.m., maybe 11 p.m. So one day I was like, oh, we could do like 7 p.m. It's breakfast for me. He goes, okay, how's tacos? I'm like, I guess we're going tacos. I guess I'm waking up and I'm having tacos. So it was weird, but it was really rewarding. And it was an honor to be a part of this first ever as you said, inaugural edition of this event. And I think it's going to be a hit again in 2024. That sounds like the most disastrous sleep schedule and one that is nearly impossible to get yourself on. It's one of those things where you're just so damn tired that that's the only reason why you're able to fall asleep. And they talk about people that do the overnight shifts and trying to somehow get five or six hours during the day. But, it, man, that takes a toll on the body. How long did it take you to get your sleep schedule back to normal after the Olympics finished? So I, I would say uh, I'll tell you this, and this is going to sound like a really weird brag, but I am a gifted sleeper. Nice. I am. I, I just, I've always been gifted. I know you said that your child might start crying at some point. I was the weird child that just always slept, and, and it was weird. I, my parents they don't know what's wrong with me or what was wrong with me or rather why I was given this gift. But I sleep on planes. I could sleep, honestly, Brian, I could sleep on your back if I needed to. Like wow. if you were piggy, if I was getting a piggyback ride from you, I could sleep and I could sleep sound. It's weird. I have a, a talent. So with that, I actually was okay. Now my partner, Kyle was not, I would say. <laughs> and I, uh, <laughs> I don't drink coffee. I've never had a sip of coffee in my life, which is a fun fact about me. Wow. I've, neither is my dad, which is well-documented. Now, my dad is much older, has lived much more life, so I would say it's more impressive that he's done it. But people are generally surprised, given that I'm traveling or doing whatever else, that I haven't had any. And certainly for this, the fact that I was basically up over the course of the night, that was shocking to many people they were offering coffee everywhere for people to stay awake now kyle doesn't normally drink coffee regularly he'll have it from time to time but i noticed day one he had five cups so i looked to him I'm like do you normally drink coffee a lot he goes no day two six cups day three the, the three x three was five days i think over the course of five days he had 36 cups of coffee it was like a new human record and I, I, I almost wanted to text him after we were all finished, like, hey, is your hotel room bathroom okay? Because I'm not, <laughs> I just don't know how that would affect the body. Not just the sleep schedule being so screwed up, but you're just adding all of that in. But he appeared to be okay. He's actually doing great. He, was, he went back home. He's from Kansas City. Then he was back on the road for FIBA stuff. So whatever he's doing it filtered out the coffee wonderfully. I just figured I'd throw that in there, and I apologize, Kyle, for just sh sharing that with the world. That Either way, to answer your question, readjusting. So I stayed like two extra days on the back end. I, I went, drove back to New Jersey and saw my parents and my sister and like a friend before I went home. And so I used those days. And after the 3X3 ended, my schedule already had loosened a bit where I was basically on call for them. And I was only doing games here and there, five on five games when they needed fill-ins. Mm -hmm. And so I slowly basically said, all right, I'm just going to do an hour earlier. I'm going to go to sleep an hour earlier every day. So like my first day post three X three, I was at the gym at two 30 in the morning 
And then I was at the 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 NBC headquarters at like 4 a.m. to get dinner. Oh. It was weird. It was wrong. So then I, I said, all right, I'll go to sleep by 6 a.m. Then the next day, 5 a.m. The next day, 4, 3. And so I slowly waned off of it. And so within a week or two, I was back on West Coast time, which is all I needed to do. You did a Luka game, didn't you? I did, yes. I did Slovenia against Germany. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I mean, that Luka, obviously, he nearly led that team to a damn gold medal the way he was uh, he's performing. So that's awesome. I mean, three by three, yeah, five Brandon, by five. I, I had, but the problem is I had PTSD because I just did the, the uh-huh. Maverick series. That's true. And so all I could think about every time he stepped back for a three was like, that's going in <laughs> because, of course, it's going in. Oh, God, that, that series was just – it seemed like every single round the Clippers played, there was somebody else that turned into prime Steph Curry that all of a sudden was just shooting the lights out. We're going to go – we'll go and talk about last season a little bit because uh, I think that's a pretty good transition. But before we get to there, one last thing on the Olympics. How likely do you see it becoming a men's competition at some point? Because the women put on a show, Kelsey Plum and company were incredible – do you think it's likely to see a three by three men's side at some point? So we had men's. The problem is our American team did not qualify. Oh. So that's that's why it wasn't as prominent as the women. There you go. Um, but there was the, the the Latvian team won gold, and they are considered to be one of the top teams in the world. The Serbian team was the favorite coming in, and they have the greatest, at least by this standard, the the greatest three x three player ever. His name is Dusan Bullet. And he just started playing in the big three toward the end of this, the big three season. And so he is trying to now expand his career. He's at 35 years old. It, it was like a Teo Dosic situation where people fell in love with Teo Dosic a couple of years ago at the Rio games. And now this guy was supposed to be like that. He was, he's a showman and he's, he's got a lot going on. He twisted his ankle early in the competition and I don't think he was 100%, and they ended up getting bronze. So that was a huge upset. The reason, But go back to it. The reason that you didn't really hear a whole lot of it is because the American men did not qualify. And it's funny, when I was sitting with Corey Maggette at the end of last season during that Mavericks series, and we were talking about it, he goes, oh, yeah, you're doing that, that three-on-three stuff. I said, yeah. He said, man, I, I would have loved to play in that. I go, dude, you should have tried to play. And I, it wasn't until I started preparing for the event, I understood that you have to qualify. You have to have rankings points within the FIBA system to even qualify for the qualifying tournament. It, it's a whole process. So I think it sounds like in talking to a lot of people, whether it was Kyle or other people that are associated with USA basketball, they're going to take it a lot more seriously in 2024. They're going to start fielding teams now, essentially and they're going to start getting them rankings points so that either guys who are just outside the NBA or low-level NBA guys or recently retired NBA guys are going to be involved and that they're going to try to take home gold in Paris. Fascinating. Fascinating. You would think with the amount of Olympic stuff that I watched, and I did not, I don't think I saw a single men's 3 by 3 so that's wild. And, of course, you mentioned the times the games were on. I mean, you're not going to show uh, – random men's game when you have USA soccer that you can show or you could show the women's three by three. So that makes a lot of sense because most of the games you were doing, I mean, I remember you having several tweets that you sent out about games being at 1230 AM, 230 AM. So that makes a lot of sense. 
Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about last season before we get into uh, anything else. When you look back at last season, how will you remember this team? Because I initially was upset with the way it ended. Um, obviously upset in both ways, upset and sad and upset and also kind of angry thinking that the Clippers could have done better than they did. But you take a step back and you look at the injuries and what they had to deal with. And it's frustrating because you see what was ahead and you see a couple of teams that were banged up and you see how close you were in certain games. But I think at the end of the day, all you can do is just give credit to this team for leaving it all on the court. Despite the results, I know there was no Kawhi and you can only just dream of what would happen if Kawhi was healthy. But I think overall it was pretty impressive what, what the Clippers did last year. Disappointing, but impressive. How would you look back at last season? Because it really did feel like that was one of those years, you can go back to the 2013-14 Clippers, where they had a chance to win it all and they just didn't. So how do you look back at it? Yeah, I think that you mostly hit it on the head there. At the end of the day, the best thing that this team showed is that they have that Clipper spirit and everything Lawrence Frank and the front office and Steve Ballmer and ownership, and you go down the list, everything that they preached, everything that they wanted came true. Like we saw the Clipper DNA that everybody was looking for. And especially after the bubble year, I think that was the biggest key was proving once again, reestablishing that this team is going to fight regardless of the situation, regardless of what the game scenario looks like, and is going to give you 150% in every situation. And I love that we saw that, especially in that Phoenix series, but uh, more so in that Dallas series down 0-2, down 30-11, to on the road in game three. And I wasn't there for that. I was still doing the stuff remotely at that point, but talking to T. Lou, he said it was the loudest he thought he heard. Mm-hmm. Then going to Utah, going down 0-2 there, and obviously how it all ended up in Game 4 with Kawhi going down, to go back for Game 5, I'll be honest with you, Utah was one of the loudest environments I've ever heard. I was there for that series. And Game 1 especially, I thought I was going to go deaf through the headset. It was insane how loud, and that's why Steve loves it so much, by the way. Yeah. And I know we're going to talk about the Dome a little bit later, but there's a reason he loves that that vivid smart arena so much it's because it's loud and the fans are truly a factor and so to go on the road for game five paul george to have the game that he did then and then of course eventually do the same in phoenix but to have the game he did reggie jackson to have the series he did and then of course terrence Mann to come up with a big play late in game five and take over game six that was something I'll never forget. Those are memories I'll never forget. And game six in particular, I will truly never forget watching, feeling, experiencing, hearing, seeing all of it. It was truly mesmerizing for that to be the first game that there were a total fan atmosphere. First time that there were fans in over a year back at Staples Center. It was, you couldn't have asked for a better script, I should say. So With all that being said, I understand why you would feel partly frustrated or any of that stuff and sad because, yeah, you do look at what's ahead. But the same could be said for the Brooklyn Nets who weren't 
Walker without Kyrie Irving and James Harden, essentially, for that series against Milwaukee. Same could be said for the Crosstown team here in L.A., who didn't have their big dogs, essentially, for that series when it really mattered. Same could be said for Denver, who is missing Jamal Murray for the entire run and Will Barton for pretty much their whole series until the very end. And so you go down the list and you realize, man, there were a lot of teams that could say that. So I totally get it. But to your point, even without Kawhi, it felt like a lot of those were winnable games in that Phoenix series. Certainly game two, even game one, and obviously then game four when they had chance after chance to just go ahead. But at the end of the day, they just ran out of gas, ran out of steam. And I think that was something people are starting to understand a little bit more. It is hard over the course of a grueling season when you're traveling all the time, especially this year when players had to get up at ridiculous hours to test multiple times a day to be cleared to play. Just that part weighing on you, your family and all that stuff weighing on you, the time changes and differences weighing on you, going now to altitude to play a series that weighs on you. And so, and the unfair home court advantages because the fan aspect, Dallas had full fans right away. Utah had fans before anyone else. So you're, you're going to these uneven environments. And the fact that these guys still fought and still gave everything they had, that's how I'll remember them. I'll remember them for their continuous fight and their never say die attitude. And I think that doesn't just go away. That's something that carries over. And a lot of it is thanks to Teron Liu and what he was able to do in his first year as the head coach, because I think it went overlooked by a decent amount of people until the playoffs. And then they really saw what a genius he is on the sideline, which was awesome. Yeah, I think you can look back to a couple of years ago in that series against Golden State and the Clippers making the comeback. And you could say that that kind of laid the groundwork for last season, where the team felt like they could come back when they went down and they they had the confidence to come back. And you talk about the Dallas series and the contributions that Rondo made. Everybody on Clippers Twitter wants to hate on Rondo, but they don't win that game without Rondo. And there were games where Boogie Cousins was huge. And there were role players that stepped up. Luke Kennard stepped up in a couple of huge games. And so everyone kind of played a role. And that's one thing you love about a team is when everybody steps up and it really is a team effort and they're going to need that this year. And so, I want to tell, I'm curious to get your point, I'm curious to get your opinion on this, because I've talked about Paul George and the amount of pressure that I think he's going to face this season, because he's basically going to have to carry this team, and you don't have Kawhi Leonard, who knows if he comes back this season, I've talked about on the pod that I think it's possible he comes back at the end of the season, just because he's already been paid, so he has that ability to come back without fear of of losing money in the offseason because he's already got that bag. But there's going to be a lot of pressure on PG this season. And we saw that he was very capable of handling it during the postseason. But you wonder during an 82-game season whether that catches up to you. And you know he's going to be load managed at some point during the year because he can't play 35, 40 minutes, uh, 82 games a year. He's just going to have to sit out a couple of games. What type of pressure do you think PG is going to feel this season? Because it really does feel like this is his team going into this campaign. Yeah, it's really hard to materialize and, and quantify exactly how much there is. Because if we're being honest, I think it's going to be similar to how it was at the end of the playoffs yeah. in that Utah series and how he handled it 
game five on the road coming through. Game six, even after a poor start to that game, in the fourth quarter made big shots. When the energy was there, he played off of it perfectly. Phoenix going on the road, facing elimination, and putting up a career high in the playoffs on an efficient day, 15 of 20 from the floor, clutch bucket, clutch bucket. Yeah, is he going to have his moments where he might struggle or he might be tired? Of course, every player does. But I do think we're going to see a, a motivated Paul George. We're going to see a leader in Paul George. And I do think that the surrounding pieces are guys that do fit with him. Having Reggie back is, is huge because that relationship really meant a lot just from a mental health perspective for both players. Having someone who's an outlet, having someone on the court that you know is like a brother to you is huge. And so getting Reggie back at the price that they did was massive. It's another great job by the front office as they deserve literally all the praise in the world. Having Terrence potentially take another step forward and him and Paul have a good relationship. Having someone like Nick Batum back, who's a great locker room guy. And then having other guys that have something to prove. You mentioned Luke Kennard. Now his new contract kicks in. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are going to be looking at him. I think all of Clipper Nation and those who follow the, the team closely understand what he's capable of, have seen what he's capable of, and now the expectation is he's going to be able to do it. I think he will. Uh, you've got somebody like Justice Winslow, who is having his career now at a, a turning point or a boiling point almost of, okay, either it's going to work out long term and you're going to be what people thought you're going to be, or... You're going to have to adjust entirely the way that people look at you and the way that you look at yourself. He's going to be motivated. So I think that with that and, and having Teron Lou still on the sideline, someone who always has a chip on his shoulder based on being the shortest guy around, based on being overlooked through high school and college and the NBA and everything. That, and now as a head coach, early in his head coaching career, you're going to have someone who is walking with a little bit of an extra swagger and extra confidence, knowing that he's proved doubters wrong. When you see that, and when you see everybody else working towards that goal, it alleviates some of that stress, alleviates some of that pressure. So yeah, Paul George is going to be under a lot of pressure. But at the same time, the Clippers' expectations are not going to be nearly as high as they were last year, even without Kawhi in the playoffs just because of how well the team was playing and you're playing against a semi-inexperienced Phoenix Suns team and whatnot. And so I think along those lines, it's not going to be all that much different for him than it was last year, where he was trying to prove that the bubble was an exception and not the rule. What do you think is a realistic finish for the Clippers? Because you just mentioned it, that the expectations for the team are not quite the same when a guy like Kawhi is not there. And you look at the roster and you, you try and find how they're going to get to the 110 points in the game, and you have PG, but not many other guys apart from Reggie Jackson that can really pour in a decent amount. I mean, obviously Marcus Morris, when he gets hot, you saw what a guy like Luke Kennard could do. Of course, Ibaka can get his, and Batum, Bledsoe, all those guys obviously can score, but it seems like this is a year where we'll see what happens with Denver and Murray's health, but you got the Lakers, you got Phoenix, you got Utah. It seems like this is a year where the Clippers probably going to get picked to finish fifth or sixth in the conference. Does that seem realistic? Um, I'm assuming the team obviously is going to have higher expectations, but it seems like that's kind of the sweet spot. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, at the end of the day, it goes back to the same principle that we were just talking about 
from last year's team, which is never say die. And no matter what, let's just think about how many games last year where we all went into the game thinking there's no way this team's going to pull out a win. Yeah. At Miami, down Kawhi and Paul, guys come out and they just lean on each other against a team that went to the finals the year before. Did it then again back at home against Memphis, down five starters and one of their top bench players. They, fuck, they, they win that game. They find a way to win that game against the playoff team. You go up against teams like that, and, and you have games like that. Obviously, the Atlanta game down 22 in the third quarter, putting in all of, quote-unquote, your bench players and having them lead you back. This team just has dogs at the end of the day, and I think that's how they like to describe themselves. And you never know if Winslow hits or if Bledsoe has a resurgent year or if one of the rookies turns out and becomes a rotation player year one. You just never know. And I think that we learned that really well and and very clearly from Terrence Mann last year. Terrence Mann is rookie year. A lot of people were wondering, well, is he going to be able to stick around in the league? Not is he going to be able to be a rotation player. He's going to be able to stay in the league. And he proved that in a big way throughout the season. Just kept playing well and kept forcing Teron Lue to play him, essentially. And so I think that there are a lot of guys who still have things to prove. And at the end of the day, the other part, this front office is always looking for ways to improve the team. Not to say that they are going to, but they're always looking for ways to just iron out things along the season. We saw it two years ago, getting Marcus Morris at the trade deadline. They got Rondo at the deadline last year. To your point, it was mixed reaction. I agree with you. I think that people didn't quite see everything that was going on behind the scenes with Rondo, but his presence certainly made a difference and definitely early in that Dallas series. So they're always looking for ways to try to sharpen, try to iron, and see if they can. You never know what they have in store. So I think it's hard to make a prediction on this team. It's a little bit of an unknown. Avita Zubats is still so young. People forget that. He is such a good player. Sergi Baca was never healthy last year. If he comes back and he is the player from just two years ago with Toronto, where he averaged 15 points a game and was rebounding at a high level and defending the rim at a high level, that completely changes everything. So until we see a lot of these pieces together, it's hard to really say, but expectations should be expectations for this team. I think that as long as they have Toronto on the sidelines, as long as they have the guys that they currently do in the locker room, they're going to be a tough out every single night. And that's really all you can ask for. They're going to give you all of what's in the tank at every single corner. Yeah, that's legit all you can ask for. You want your team to try hard. I mean, everybody's favorite Clippers team is the one where Pat Beverly fights tooth and nails to the death. And you see guys that work hard. You see what Zoo does on the court. It's not the stars and those types of games and those types of seasons. But it's when you have, like you said, dogs and Shane Young brought up an interesting point on Twitter, and I haven't really thought about it a lot, but I'm just starting to think about it, and I want to kind of talk it over with you because I want to get your opinion. What does Paul George have to do to get top three MVP again? Because you look at his 2018-19 numbers, 28 points per game. He had about six rebounds per game, just under, just over three assists per game, two steals per game, He shot 43%, and his free throw percentage was 82%, and he was hitting about three threes per game. It seemed like that is very attainable. By the way, it's actually 3.8 threes per game, so closer to four. 
it seems like that's really attainable this season. Where do you think the Clippers need to land in order for that to be a consideration? And what type of numbers do you think he needs to put up? Yeah, they're going to have to be top four in the West. Uh, Similar to Denver last year, where Jokic was getting MVP votes because he was basically carrying them to wins, especially without Murray towards the end of the season. I think that PG is going to have to have those eye-popping type numbers around 30 points per game or so, or close to it. He's going to have to make a high percentage of shots. He's going to have to not necessarily be 50-40-90, but somewhere in the general vicinity. And even then, it might not be enough, honestly, B. And I think the reason for that is just people's perception. And whether or not that's fair is a different conversation entirely. I don't believe it is. I just think that people over the last couple of years, when someone's in the league a long time, and they have moments over the course of their career where people can point to it and say, see, I told you this, or I told you that. Mm -hmm. And especially now with NBA, Twitter, and social media, and people can really talk about whatever they want, and people can get traction about whatever they want. It's all about perception when it comes to MVP and when it comes to all of those types of awards. So I just think Paul has been in the league a long time. He's accomplished a lot but people still believe he can do more, whether or not, again, that's fair to him is another conversation, but he's going to have a big year. There's zero doubt about that. So long as he's healthy for the course of the season, he's going to have MVP type numbers. I mean, he had close to that last year with Kawhi still in the fold. So you take Kawhi out. He's got to be the number one option again, like he was in Indiana. And he proved over the course of the last series and a half, that he's a really good number one option. He still is a really good number one option for a team. And as the number one option in Indiana, he was leading them to 60 wins. And they were really good. They were the top seed in the Eastern Conference. They're taking the Miami Heatles to six, seven games in the conference finals. So we know what he's capable of. It's just about putting it into practice and having that lead to wins. If it leads to wins and it leads to them being top four in the Western Conference, I think a lot of the media will start to take notice and really appreciate the effort he's putting forth. Yeah, I think that's an underrated candidate. By the way, I misread a couple of numbers. First of all, the 28 points per game is correct, but he also had eight rebounds. I said 5.7. It's 8.2 rebounds per game, just over four assists per game, and 2.2 steals. So I was looking at the year before. But 28, 8, and 4, that's pretty damn good, and just over two steals per game. It seems like that's certainly attainable this season. Yeah, I'll let him know that you shortchanged him. Yeah. I'll, I'll just Listen, I'll just he feeds sure off that. that. Let him know. You crushed him. Let him know. He feeds off that stuff. <laughs> Whenever people are doubting him, PG rises to the occasion. So if he needs Brandon Marcus's uh, words on his locker as motivation so he can stare say. at them before every single game and get the Clippers to the title, listen, I'll gladly accept that responsibility. Oh, I can Ted Lasso him. I'm going to go put full believe on top of his locker and tell him corny jokes until his ears bleed. And I think that'll do it. That is hilarious that you just brought that up because you and I were talking right before we started this podcast about how we go on tangents. And we brought up uh, Tiger King last time, I believe, you were on the podcast, maybe two times ago. It's been a while. I think the last time I had you actually was during um, Tiger King. And I was just thinking, what do I want to bring up? I'm like, I want to bring up Ted Lasso. So stay tuned for the end of the podcast when we discuss Ted Lasso. Um, finally, into it, Dome. You were there. You were at the groundbreaking. This is a momentous occasion in Clippers history. And what Ballmer has done in 10 years with the Clippers 
from when he takes over to when it, the dome opens, frankly, is remarkable. And the Clippers need their own arena. We talked about this in the last podcast. If you want to go into the details, I had Tomeras Arley on, and we discussed everything and why they need it with the times of the game and 10 games this year, whether they're on the road or at home, that are 1 p.m. or earlier Pacific time. We talked about why it's happening. I want to get your take as someone that grew up on the East Coast and now has become entrenched in the Clippers family on the arena opening up. What are your thoughts on the Intuit Dome? Yeah, I'm sure that Tomer the Terrific hit on uh, pretty much everything Hmm. because that's why he's Tomer the Terrific. Of course. But from my perspective, at least, it's definitely a, a necessary tool. And the biggest thing that stands out from me, from my perspective, to your point, coming from the Northeast and the New York area, where I grew up, my dad worked for the Nets, Knicks are the main, whatever you want to call it, tenant of the area, Mm -hmm. and we're just someone who, quote-unquote, pays rent. At least that's what it was told me as growing up, right? No different than here. That's what I've heard time and time again from Laker fans. From my perspective parachuting in Laker fans are upset with Steve Ballmer and the Clippers because I I hear this all the time they we quote are trying to steal Laker fans like no no we're not trying to steal any Laker fans it's not like you're 45 years old you're gonna wake up one morning and be like you know what I'm gonna be a Clipper fan now <laughs> like that doesn't that doesn't happen it's it's just true with everything it's not like I wake up one morning and I'm like a huge, my favorite food is steak. It's not like I'm going to wake up one morning and be like, you know what? I'm good. I'm not, a, I don't like steak anymore. Like that just doesn't happen in life. And so what this does, it gives the Clippers their own space. So let's just talk about it logistically first. Scheduling. That, that was one of the things that has stood out to me because I've lived it, obviously. The 1230 starts are brutal, not just for the players, but for everybody, all the staff members, the coaches the medical team, whoever, the the ushers, us as the broadcasters, we have to get there very early. We have to get there 8.30-ish or even earlier, depending on your job. Mm -hmm. So based on L.A. traffic, if it's a Wednesday afternoon, which can happen from time to time, that's tough. You've got to plan accordingly. And so you're not getting much sleep. And so to ask the players, I know we have this year, for example, this is the other thing. We've got that Grammy trip in January. Not only do we have, I think it's 10 of 11 games on the road, but the one home game is a 1230 start. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're setting them up for failure, essentially. So that was a huge, huge pro to having your own building. You can help create your own schedule or at least have more desirable times on the days the NBA is going to, to assign you. So that's one. Logistically alone, that's worth it. Two, you have your own space. So... To go back to the Laker fan conversation where people are telling me, stop trying to steal Laker fans, like as if I'm a thief and I am going around and being like, oh, Laker fan, let me swap you and bring me back to my apartment. Like That's not how I operate either. Celtic pride. I I don't understand. Yeah, it's literally, yeah, exactly. It's like Celtic pride where I'm going to steal Kendrick Nunn and (laughs) tie him to a chair in my apartment and say, you stay here until you join the Clippers. Like this isn't, this isn't how life works. Yeah. So to, to what I think is going to happen with this into a dome, first of all, obviously everything Steve Ballmer does to go back to my interview, when I asked him what he wants in a broadcaster, 
is hardcore because that's what he is. He's hardcore. And so everything about this dome is going to be hardcore. And when <laughs> you're a kid in Inglewood or the surrounding area and you're showing up and you're playing in one of these outdoor courts or you're playing that indoor court where fans can come and watch you, if you're going not necessarily every day, but once a week, or you and your friends are going when you're growing up, and then you grow up and you become an NBA first-round pick, what place do you think you're going to want to play at more than any other place? It's not going to be Staples Center. It's going to be the Intuit Dome because you grew up around it or your high school jersey is in it. They're connecting to the people of Los Angeles. They're endearing themselves to the people of Los Angeles. And so – Instead of saying to a 45-year-old Laker fan, hey, you should come root for us because we have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they're saying to a seven-year-old budding NBA fan, hey, come and enjoy the experience at our brand-new arena, the home of the Clippers. We're not telling you what to do, but just have fun. Enjoy a game. It's going to be the best viewing experience in the NBA and so on and so forth. And you can come play on these outdoor courts that say Clippers on them. And just naturally, by osmosis, that kid's going to eventually say, you know what? This, I like what they're doing over here. I like this. So they're creating and cultivating their own area, their own build in, in L.A. And I think it was necessary. It was important that they did that eventually. They have their own space. And Steve is going to make sure that every aspect of this thing is going to be state-of-the-art. It's going to be unique. They asked everybody within the organization that could help how, what they wanted I don't know if I actually impacted any of it, but I know that I was asked early in my first year after we went to Chase Center what I would improve upon, and I said, access to bathrooms. Sure enough, how many toilets are going in this thing? How many access? And again, I think that was in the works regardless of what I said because Steve is brilliant and Gillian brilliant, and they went to every stadium possible, every arena possible to view it, and that's something that stood out to them. So, they are going to think of every little thing possible, but from a brand perspective and from a cultivating their own fan base and their own niche within the LA market, it is going to be huge. So you're responsible for all the bathrooms is what you're trying to say. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying to take credit for something I probably can't even take credit for. Isn't that how life works? Yes, yes. That that and okay. I, I'm gonna right. I'm, I'm gonna give you the credit for it. Listen, it was a great idea, and, and frankly, <laughs> it's what everybody discusses. I was talking to a friend today about the Intuit Dome, and he said, "Man, it's crazy. I mean, bathrooms they're putting in there that they're people really waste the amount of time in the bathroom when they could be, you know, getting food or getting going to the souvenir shop and getting something." And so he was even talking about the bathroom. So it is catching on all over the place. And it's interesting you brought up the trying to grab the seven-year-old so it seems like this is a recruiting tool of sorts and you're starting young and you're hoping to not grab the immediate fans and i mean obviously you're going to you're going to fill the place up with fans no matter what but later on down the road in 15 20 years get that atmosphere of the utah jazz and now we can transition into what you were talking about earlier with the fan base of utah and the way the arena is built and i talked with tomer And I said, the Clippers atmosphere has gotten better over the last year. This playoff run was the best I've ever seen Staples Center. Normally during a playoff game, it feels like it's 50% of the other team, 50% Clippers fans. And it doesn't get to that level that it should that you see in other arenas during the playoffs. But it certainly feels like it's slowly getting there. 
And the Intuit Dome is going to absolutely help that because, as you said, you'll get that fan that's seven or eight years old. And maybe in 10 years, he or she is the one shouting in the arena. And the arena will get better and better when it comes to the fan base. But not only the fan base, the construction of the arena and how difficult it is going to be for visiting teams when the you have the fans basically on the court with how close it is. It seems like Utah, you talked about it. Elaborate that a little bit more about how important the structure is of the arena and also touch a little bit about the fan base and how you think that's going to improve um, with the atmosphere over time. Yeah, honestly, I'm not even sure if that's how Steve or Gillian or anyone is looking at it necessarily. It's just from my perspective on as an outsider, so to speak, from the East Coast coming in the last couple of years and seeing the vibe of basketball in LA, it's just how I think it's going to play out. And it makes sense. If I, let's, yeah, let's say I was a kid and I grew up going and playing on this court all the time. Eventually I'm going to want to go back there when I'm an adult. That's just natural for any of us. You want to relive and reminisce from your childhood. Or if you're a star player from LA and you grew up playing at the Intuit Dome on the outdoor court or even on that indoor court with the fan seating, one day you're going to want to play at the Intuit Dome. It's just natural. That's just human nature. But to go back to the Utah environment, I, like I said, I had never really heard an NBA arena, at least. You know, I I went to Cameron Indoor Stadium in college. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the Carrier Dome, we had packed houses with 35,000-plus people for basketball games where it's overflowing behind the court. I heard loud, loud environments for basketball games. I'm not sure I heard one that was louder than game one at Utah. They, They knew what was at stake. They were the number one seed in the NBA, top record in the league. This was the time. They knew that other teams were banged up. They understood. And the fans are educated there. The fans are passionate. And I actually walked back because of a lot of COVID protocols. I walked back after the games to the hotel. And I was amongst the fans. So for games one and two, that was tough because I was amongst very excited fans. Hmm. For game five, it was great from my perspective because they were all sad fans. And for me, the sad Utah fans meant happy Clipper fans. And I was about the happy Clipper fans. But I got to talk to them and ask them what they liked so much about coming. And a lot of these fans, I I remember talking to one person, one guy, who drove two hours to come to the game. He drove two hours just because he loved the, the Jazz that much. And that's the type of passion and feel and really just willingness to do whatever it takes to to support your team and see your team that Steve loves. And that's why that environment in particular, the build of it, how they built the stands, it's super steep so that you are basically on top of the action. And when you're on the court, you feel people on top of the action. So that part of it alone helps to create that vibe. And then the passion of the fans themselves, which we know from Clipper Nation, is not a problem. As evidenced by game six of that series, which then became the loudest I've ever heard any environment. That game six, when they came back from 20-plus down in the third quarter, 25 down, was insane. I've never heard Staples Center so loud. In fact, when I left that night, 
the ushers and security guards at Staples Center were telling me it was the loudest they heard it in Staples Center since Kobe's last game. Wow. Which is crazy. Crazy and amazing all at once. And so Steve's vision is to have that every night and for only to ramp up more and more and more as the season and the postseason goes on. And so it's very exciting. All of it's very exciting. If they can take Utah and, and ramp it to another level, it would be a huge, huge win. Yeah, if you can create that atmosphere along with the fan base that just continues to get better and better, you'll you'll suddenly find an arena that forget the Staples Center and how awful that was to play there and how awful it is to play there with the times and then it being a Lakers arena and having to cover up the banners. It really feels like the Clippers will finally, and I mean finally, get a home court advantage. And that's certainly that something they desperately need. All right, I've had you for a while. You did some tennis earlier today, so I'm sure your voice is getting towards the end, um, even though you've got that golden voice that's omnipresent. Let's hit on <laughs> let's hit on Ted Lasso. I don't want to give any spoilers away. Myself, I'm actually still three episodes behind because of my child, so I don't get much time to watch. I'm curious. I don't body bag your kid. I don't don't crush your kid. You'll learn that you can use your kid and th- <laughs> you can use it as you can use him or her as an excuse for nearly everything. It's phenomenal. You don't want to go out that night, eh, child. You can't watch something on on TV, eh, child. Every single time you need an excuse, I promise you, Noah, you'll be able to use your child as one. I'm going to use my child as one here because I am far behind. I'm actually, I think, 170 Jeopardies behind. Um, Those are not being watched. So those shows, you know, eventually I'm going to get to them. And Ted Lasso is at the top of the list. Who is your favorite character? Is it is it Roy Kent or are are we? Nope. Stop right there. It's Roy Kent. And, And. I know you said you're a few behind. I didn't watch the most recent one that just came out yesterday or today, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll try to watch it as soon as I can. But uh, Roy Kent is by far the best character in season two, especially. Yeah. He, he only has gotten better, and they've developed his character mightily in season two. Now, I've talked to a lot of people, and we have a couple people that work for the Clippers that are big fans of Sam. Sam is a fan favorite as well. So I I think it could go either way. I understand why people feel that way, but I'm all Roy Kent all the time. Yeah. There is just, I mean, even Keely, Keely's a tremendous character that just, I feel like you, she puts together the Roy aspect along with the soccer aspect. It's, and obviously, Jason Sudeikis is unbelievable. I and mean, you can go and he, just his assistant coach is tremendous. And, and every single character. Yeah, Coach Beard. Yeah, Coach Beard's unbelievable. I mean, it's 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 such a good show. And every single character. I mean, you look at Higgins. And just did you see the picture of him um, on the after they won the award with him pretending to hold the trophy? It, it's just it's I like did. you're like, oh, that's so Higgins. <laughs> that's so Higgins. It, it's it's a tremendous show, and you and I have gone from Tiger King to to Ted Lasso, and I feel like we've upgraded Noah. I, I feel like we've upgraded in terms of the shows that we discuss and, and just the quality of TV that currently is on. Well, we've definitely upgraded in terms of keeping our brain cells based yes. on the shows that we watch because yes. uh, I would say Tiger King. That was a show I just turned my brain off and suspended any belief in any part of humanity ever, especially after meeting Carol Baskin over the television (laughs) and then having her go on Dancing with the Stars and absolutely bombing. 
I mean, come on. Carol Baskin should never be spoken of again. Instead, they decide we're going to do a second season of Tiger King that nobody's going to watch. I mean, come on, people. Let's just be better as humans and not do that. There's just zero reason for any of us to ever sit through anything related to Carol Baskin ever again. She can actually just disappear and we'd all be totally okay with it. In fact, her husband did exactly that because she was responsible for it. I will never ever say anything otherwise oh we agree on that we talked about that in the last time what we discussed tiger king 100 percent. do you know how much she charges for a cameo for personal use she's got one for personal use and one for business where you can book her for a marketing campaign or big event but for personal use how much do you think she charges i'm gonna say something ridiculous because she's ridiculous so i'm just gonna say like 420 dollars and 69 cents because that would make sense for her Two forty nine for personal use, but for I was close. For, I was weirdly close for business. Four hundred and ninety nine dollars. Right, and what business exactly would you say that is? Because her business is so far from not booming. In fact, they've reopened the case on her dead husband because of this show. So good luck, Carol. Oh man, did they really reopen the case? They sure did. Oh, that's tremendous. Oh, that's going to be a good show in of itself as well. Oh, Noah, this has been this has been awesome. I'm glad we were able to catch up. You have Media Day in just a couple of days. You expecting anything from Media Day or should it be status quo? Uh, yeah, I think it'll mostly be uh, some fun stuff. You know, we'll hear from guys like Bledsoe and, and T-Man and Kennard and all these guys that we're excited about this year. T. Lou is always just a great soundbite because he's a basketball genius. So I think it'll be a, a good time and Clipper Nation should be excited for another fun year ahead more than anything else. Because I think similar to last year and what I brought up earlier, it's going to be one of those low expectations overperform. I feel the Clippers always tend to do that when the expectations are lowest, as they were at the end of the playoffs. They find a way to outperform what people seem to think they're going to do. And I would say this year is going to be another case. Phenomenal way to end the podcast. Noah Eagle 15 on Twitter. You can find him all over the place. AM 570 is where the Clippers play home and away. You'll hear Noah's voice. And of course, you can catch him on CBS College Football coming up shortly. He does it all and he makes another tremendous appearance on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Noah, we'll, we will not wait as long next time to have you on. It was a weird season, of course, but. You're back on the road this season, so looking forward to having you back on the pod at some point as the year goes on. Thanks for ha- thanks for coming on. All right, Brandon. Thanks for having me, man. We will definitely do it again soon. And yeah, my voice will be omnipresent, as you said. So regardless, you'll hear from me. Just a phenomenal appearance by Noah Eagle. Great to have him on. A big thanks to him for joining us. That was one of my favorite conversations. I love talking to him. Time flies by. Before you knew it, we were 50 minutes in. And we touched on everything, so I hope you enjoyed it. Before we say goodbye, folks, I got to tell you, where would I be without Manscaped? Support for today's episode comes from the place that has the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. I got to tell you, their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is now available in the USA and Canada. So all you Americans and Canadians, what are you waiting for? What makes this waterproof trimmer different from other trimmers? I got to tell you, they've got additional guard length with sizes 1 to 4 that let you trim to your liking. They've got that 4000K LED spotlight on and off whenever you need for a more precise shave. 
multifunction on-off switch can engage in a travel lock, and of course, they've got that skin-safe technology to keep your balls in check and help reduce manscaping accidents around the world. I love investing in the best new technology and advancements, and I got to tell you, I am blown away by their performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. If you want to get the complete package, the Manscaped Ultra Smooth Package is a three-step kit to help you keep your family jewels protected. They've got the crop exfoliator, the crop gel, and then when it's time to shave, they've got the crop shaver. Stop imagining yourself without the Lawnmower 4.0 and everything that comes with it. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Get smooth, get clean. It's Manscaped. All right, so media day just around the corner. I'm sure something will come out then. We'll have a podcast for you next week at some point, whether it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We will have a podcast for you. We're going to try and get regularly one time per week, at least for now. And then once the season starts, maybe we'll be able to get in a second one. Hopefully we're able to. Obviously, things are crazy with my life and having the baby. So trying to get you as regular schedule podcast as possible. So we'll see what we can do. But I want to make sure that at least the content itself is great. And I know we got a good one in today with Noah Eagle. So a big thank you to you, everyone who does listen and support this podcast, whether it's you're supporting it because of hoop ball or you're supporting it because you love the Clippers, just a big thank you. And I can't do it without you. And we're looking forward to another fantastic Clippers season. So until next time, I'm Brandon Marcus and go Clips. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.